This is The Way We Connect. I'm Gwyneth Jones and welcome to 2021. I don't think you need me to tell you it's been a bit of a strange year, but one thing I found really fascinating is that during lockdown, not being able to connect with other people in quite the same way we might like to, a lot of people have been connecting to nature more. So a lot of my friends who I felt normally ignored my ramblings on Facebook about the importance of connecting to nature have been going for walks, have been observing the changing of the seasons a lot more, have really been building connections with the land, which I think is fantastic because connection to nature is one of my hot topics. So I decided to do a little... I guess, mini-series of discussions about connection to earth, connection to nature. And for the first of these, I've got um, an ecotherapist. So I'll just cut straight into our beautiful conversation, I think, without saying much more. My name is Fee Garrard, and I call myself an outside counsellor and an ecotherapist. I counsel people mainly outside with nature. All right, cool. And where are you based? Um, So I'm in the wilds of Cornwall, West Cornwall, quite near Penzance. So how did you get started on this whole ecotherapy thing? It's been a long time, I think. So I it kind of goes right back to almost, I think I was like 19 and I was... Um, at university in Birmingham and I grew up in a quite a small village very rural and I moved to Birmingham into the city and I just felt so weird and alien and I couldn't I felt like I couldn't breathe from being in a city and so I used to scale the walls of a of Birmingham Botanical Garden at night and just sit in the botanical gardens to kind of feel okay and I sort of realized at that point that maybe I needed to stop living in a city and really that the kind of course of my life changed I decided to become a gardener uh, and I moved to Devon and I trained as a gardener and that was kind of the start of realizing that for me being in nature was so important to kind of my health, my mental health, um, and it was it was like a real need. Uh, I I was having nightmares, and and I just yeah, it was a really kind of almost like a physical sensation. So so I started training as a gardener, and then I kind of realised that um, it wasn't just plants that I needed. I needed people, and that actually being in nature and gardening and growing was so therapeutic to myself and I'd kind of suffered with quite a lot of depression in my teenage years and I really felt like for the first time yeah it wasn't like a real sense of breathing and being able to kind of have space and Mm -hmm. so I decided to become a horticultural therapist and I kind of worked on various projects and that was kind of like more like social ecotherapy so we would have groups of people with learning disabilities and mental health problems and we had a group of young people and they would come to, I worked in various places, but the place that I worked for for quite a long time was in Brighton and we would have service users that would come sort of every day or every other day and 
we would do gardening as a therapy. So we were productive and we grew lots of vegetables and plants and flowers, but the emphasis was on it being healing. And so I did that for many years, about maybe over 10 years. And then from having people that came that had kind of quite serious mental health problems, I sort of realised that I didn't know enough about how to really kind of help people unravel some of their turmoil. So I decided that I would train as a counsellor. And after finishing my training, I kind of realised that taking my therapy outside seems so natural and important. So that's kind of how it evolved. Um, And then I've been, I've had my own private practice working outside with people for over 10 years now. Okay, wow. Well, I completely hear you on the going to university and suddenly being in a city. So I had the same experience when I moved to Manchester to go to university. I was like, what's, you know, what's wrong? And it took me a few months to realize it was the, yeah, the lack of nature and open spaces and breathable air. Yeah. Yeah. So um, were you aware before you'd gone to university that, you know, like nature and the countryside was so important to you? Probably not. No, I probably hadn't recognised it as much. I had a real, I, I can remember being at uni and thinking and looking at a map and thinking if I was to walk from here, how long would it take me to get to a field? And how long would it take me to get away from other people and the noise of cars and and I remember just thinking that's not possible and how how enclosed. But I really, yeah, I don't think I did understand. You know, looking back, I can see that as a child, I spent huge amounts of time outside and it kind of makes sense. But no, I don't think it really struck me. Um, otherwise, I probably would have chosen a different place to go to uni. Yeah. Uh, and and so yeah can you tell me a little bit more about the different things you've been doing so I'd be happy to hear a bit more about what horticultural therapy includes or yeah means exactly it's it's really kind of quite a, a broad term to kind of mean anything gardening related that that is healing so in the groups that I would run we would so I mean a, a general day would kind of work out people would arrive at the farm and we'd look at all the jobs that needed doing on the land so we had six acres we were organic and we kind of ran along permaculture lines so there were big areas of kind of um we had like a wildlife garden and a huge pond um but we had polytunnels and we had greenhouses and um areas to be inside as well and so we sort of decided in the morning what jobs there were to do whether that was you know planting or potting up or um, harvesting and and then we sort of split into groups and then as a group kind of do a task together so really the healing elements were being together in, in a group and that kind of collective sense of being together but with a task in mind so there was a lot of there was quite a, a big element of kind of teaching and I kind of realized that a lot of the teaching was about helping people discover what they already knew so I would I would teach like seed sowing 
by asking people to hold a seed on their hand and then have a feel for it and what what do you think you know this is a pea so it's quite big so where do you think how deep does it feel like it needs to go and how far apart from the other one if you imagine how a, a bigger pea plant is and you know what soil should we put it in and I would teach that way because actually I think everyone has an innate sense of have has an inner gardener has a, an ability to know how to put their hands in the soil and grow and I feel like it's just that we've forgotten rather than we didn't already know so that would be kind of my process and inevitably you know a lot of language was used along the way so people would kind of uh, you know learn a lot of terms and a lot of kind of technical information but they'd also learn a kind of sense of um, belonging I think that was the biggest thing that I noticed that people had a real sense that they belonged to the farm and the farm belonged to them and everybody that came had their own very small area but an area that was theirs that they could do whatever they liked on it and some people would just dug holes you know that's what they wanted to do and other people made sort of big structures and um and there was also a lot of discovery around relationships so communication what you know some people would get very upset by particular people or particular weather or particular situations or jobs that they hated but what was it like to do a job that they really didn't like doing so there was a lot of kind of social learning as well, um, but but fairly kind of low key. Not kind of there were people that had sort of uh, quite serious mental health problems, but those became kind of less noticeable, I suppose. And we had a day centre that was part of our charity, and so some of the people that came to the farm would also go to the day centre and do other activities like art and music and uh, creative writing. And then we would have staff meetings about the people that came, our service users, and kind of describing, you know, if any problems came up or if there were kind of incidents that happened. And I was constantly surprised about how people described, how other members of staff would describe people I knew very well who came to the farm and how different they would be outside at our farm compared to in a day centre they may have like you know two or three incidents a week even some people and we'd hardly ever see that kind of behaviour and I and I kind of considered this a lot like what was it that was different about being at the farm you know we were you know the staff sometimes were the same members of staff the groups were the same people in those groups but there was something about the farm that just gave people space to kind of be how they needed to be. So if they felt upset, they could just walk off. Or if they felt angry, they could dig harder. Or So there was like a, a just a change in how people's behaviour was, actually, mm-hmm. and being able to integrate feelings in a different way. It's really beautiful and you know, it makes me think a lot of the things I've heard about how the modern world makes us mentally ill, or at least exacerbates those things. And um, yeah, it sounds like, you know, when you're out in an open space, yeah, you can be yourself more. And the land is like 
I don't know, giving you unconditional love in a way, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not judging you. And the, and and that different people would find different expressions of what they love doing or a place. You know, some people would, you know, if they got upset, they'd go to and sit by the pond and other people would, you know, go and sit in a tree or, you know, just there were there were different kind of ways for them to, you know, that I had one person was absolutely, completely obsessed with digging potatoes and he would come in every day and say, are we digging potatoes? And I'd go, we just planted them. <laughs> and, and he would just wait for the day that we were digging potatoes. And then when we were digging potatoes, he would just scream with delight. It's a potato. It's another potato. And like the the joy of potatoes for him was just immense. And, and for someone else, it was fires. Like absolutely loved having a fire. Just wanted to just stand by that fire all day. And I think that, so often we don't have the chance to kind of find our particular thing that's like our real kind of love and that can be quite specific or it can be kind of open but there's so many different aspects to being outside so many different landscapes I guess to connect to that um it's it, it was kind of amazing being able to see what people really responded to and how different that was. And um, what's what's happening now with those same people? Because I know there were a lot of really good uh, initiatives in the UK, wasn't there, for gardening for mental health? And then I have the feeling that funding got cut a lot for them. Yeah. So that is what happened to us. So I I ran a, um, a supportive volunteering group on a Friday and that funding got cut and then some other funding got cut and we went from six full mem- full-time members of staff so we were fairly big to me <laughs> and then I ended up job sharing because it was too much responsibility for one role and then and when I left there had been some other funding found but eventually that ran out so which was incredibly sad to see that the you know the fun that I spent so many years, but in one way or another, some people managed to carry on with it was taken over by a new company and it carried on for a few years, I think, and yeah, I think that has been the case. I think a lot of that sort of funding almost seen as kind of extra rather than essential funding had has been cut. I I worked for a short amount of time at a, a community farm that had animals and that's still going actually so but I think that charities struggle and you know they have sort of huge problems finding money so jobs become quite unstable and yeah it's tragic um really isn't it and anything that's seen as for well-being and things like the arts and music they have this perception that it's like a fancy extra luxury that you can only have when everything else is covered and that's um yeah one of the things I find you know so tragic about the current government in the UK they don't I mean they've probably never developed a relationship to nature themselves so they don't 
No, am I missing? So tell me then, you said then you've been working with outdoor therapy or taking clients outdoors for the last 10 years. Yeah, so tell me more about that. Yeah, so kind of during my training, I discovered eco-psychology and, um, you know, that it was a kind of a, a big movement or it was a kind of blossoming movement where instead of just looking at human relationships, people started to look at, you know, maybe that's not just the only important thing in sort of looking at people's psyches and actually, you know, our relationship to our environment and our lack of that relationship, maybe that has huge effect on us and actually the world, how that then plays out in the world. So it kind of seemed, because I'd always worked outside, it seemed like really natural to set up my practice outside. So I managed to kind of rent some land nearby and I had a a sort of little, I built a little bender kind of out of hazel poles and with a tarpaulin and clients would come up and meet me on the top of this hill overlooking the sea um, and St Michael's Mount. I saw clients like that for maybe two or three years maybe three and then I had my daughter and when I started up my practice again I decided to kind of try lots of different locations and actually see the effect of Um, and really be led by my clients as to where they felt they wanted to be. So usually on a first kind of initial session, talking to clients, we decide where felt important to start. And so I use now, I use a number of different locations. Some of them are private, some of them are public, and we all meet on the beach or we'll meet in the woods, up a hill, kind of wherever kind of feels some people are really connected to certain places so they'll say I really really want to go to you know this beach and um, we'll kind of find a place that kind of feels private so we may meet at a car park and then walk for a few minutes and sit down somewhere so I do I'm fairly careful at choosing sites because and it's really interesting when I've been meeting a client at a particular site for um, maybe you know kind of eight weeks and then we suddenly change and quite often clients will want to meet in a woods first and I kind of often feel or describe it that it's quite almost quite womb like if we go to a kind Mm. of a woods or maybe next to a stream it feels very kind of nurturing and very held and then we may kind of go out and sit on a cliff and it suddenly the work changes suddenly the person changes you know we're in this new landscape and maybe they get a perspective on on an issue that they didn't have before Mm. and I also noticed that you know the weather can can really change the work it can be quite kind of oh god it's raining you know but actually there's huge amounts in that there's a real sense of and I've noticed this with often with winter so I might suddenly get new clients in the autumn and if we go through the winter together when we get to the spring I notice that there's like sort of so much therapeutic change almost like we had to have that kind of dark difficult bit in order to get to something else to a kind of different way of thinking or and I noticed the process of change very differently outside 
So from in my model of counselling, which is person-centred therapy, therapeutic change is through the core conditions. So we have certain conditions that if we offer as a therapist, that therapeutic change will happen, depending on that client, of course. But those kind of intense moments of change, like you can, you can kind of almost track the progress where somebody suddenly hits on feeling and you can really feel the work deepens into into something else and and sometimes when suddenly somebody discovers something that's really painful and very difficult and sitting in a room with somebody and that can be really intense and I notice so much that when somebody starts to kind of really start to feel some of the pain that maybe has been really old for them, really historic. But outside, it doesn't have the same quality. It's like it it feels sort of integrated. It's like it doesn't hit them in this kind of sudden way. It's like they kind of feel it, but it's not really, it's not so intense. It, and suddenly all these changes happen. And, and I'm like, oh, really strange that it like I can only describe it as it feels more natural there's less fear so I've kind of thought about that quite a lot and often I feel like the process isn't so much about me and me and the client but it's about me kind of getting out of the way quite a lot and that it's about the client feeling that relationship to nature and actually I'm not really involved in that. I'm there, kind of observing it and and helping hold it, but I'm 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 not so involved in that. Yeah, it becomes like you introduce the client back to nature yeah. and just let things unravel in the way that they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and you think as well, seeing the cycles of nature and the resilience of nature, all of those things, maybe reassure people that you know their own issues and problems will be maybe not as you know not as permanent and not yeah. as severe because they can see nature bouncing back yeah and that the, the landscape continually changes so we'll if we're in a wood and we start in September it's so different when we're there in March and there's so much so many different sort of visitors or and that there's so many metaphors I think that's the thing there's so many metaphors in nature for for the, for the work of growing and putting down our roots and going down into the earth and growing and you know I often feel like for, for certain clients I've had there's been these kind of amazing you know they they're the ones that have found the the meaning I had I had a client who she came to me with OCD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. She'd been diagnosed and she was on medication for that. And, you know, I found that really interesting that she, you know, we sort of talked about, oh, why, why are you coming to me? You know I'm outside. And, you know, you, you say you don't feel particularly connected to nature. And she she was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know, but I'm here now and this is what we're doing we went to the woods and she started noticing this this robin that came and he he would come every session suddenly and it would always be my client that would say oh there's that robin again what's wow 
and it felt like the Robin became actually the the Robin became the counselor because she she put so much onto him being there and and he you know sometimes we'd change where we were in the woods and he would still find us and or find her and she started to look up kind of what Robin meant and what it felt like it meant to her and she felt like it was about her coming back to nature and when she kind of discovered that she suddenly said oh I remember I remember now when I was a kid and when my dad was being abusive to me I would climb out of my window and I would like scale down the house and I would run and I would run into the fields and I'd stay in the fields for hours and hours and hours and that's where I felt safe and she'd completely forgotten that she did that and it was like a, a complete return for her of oh, well that's my that's my true nature isn't it of of feeling connected to nature and and I often think that I think it's come even knowing that deep connection somewhere or it's about them rediscovering it. Yeah, it sounds like a returning to something, right? Like you said, with the seeds, that it's this inner knowing and sense of belonging that, yeah, many of us might never know that we have, yeah. uh, especially people who grow up in cities and spend all their time with technology that's that's a question I've got so if you have clients who haven't really spent a lot of time in nature so you know say they grew up in a very urban environment how is it for them I, I think it can be quite a scary process I've definitely had clients who have found it difficult I have a counseling room now in the back of my house in my garden and and we sort of take that process a little bit slower with some people. So we we start off inside. I have stones and bits of wood in my counselling room and we'll use those to kind of start that process. Or we might have a session outside and then reflect on how that was, how that felt. And I, I often find this with um, with people that they... They have a real longing, but there's a lot of fear there of the unknown or almost like it's like a fear of their own nature. Yeah, that process can take a while, I think. I feel like people are either, they completely know they have this very strong nature connection or they have no idea that it's there. With the ones that kind of know that it's, it, you know, I really can step out of the way a lot. With the ones that don't, it's a more nurturing process to kind of allow themselves to feel that that's part of them. But I think there's always a core of knowing that that's who they are. And one of my clients described it as, it's like a kind of seed. Like, and sometimes it's like a very small light that I know that that part of me is there. But sometimes it's hard to find that person and I think that actually describes a healthy whole human too like almost that idea of being well or Carl Rogers describes it as like a fully functioning actualized person that that kind of light in me is feels strong and bright and sometimes it's a really tiny little light and it's just really hearing that yeah listening very hard and when uh, when you see these transformations in your clients that they maybe awaken to their connection to nature 
how does that impact them in their day-to-day lives after that? And that's, uh, yeah, that's the thing that I always find incredibly surprising that it's people make these huge kind of change, you know, they, they change relationships, they move house, they, they do all sorts of like very physical things, kind of, um, very kind of lasting. I, I remember one client who we did a lot of work around, well, we sat in silence a lot and he, became really interested in listening to the birds whilst we sat and he became really massively enthusiastic about birds and he'd kind of come with this sense of disconnection from his son listening to the birds and started to kind of bird watch and then he started to take his son out and they developed this really sort of strong relationship around watching birds together and sometimes kind of change Maybe it wasn't so obvious, but it was more a sense of, I mean, I always felt whenever a client would say, yeah, I don't need to see you. I mean, that is just such a joy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's always like, oh, okay. And sometimes I might not agree, like, oh, I'm not sure you don't need to see me, but um, you don't feel like you need to see me. So that's brilliant, you know, like. And I'm going to be here so you can come back if you feel like you want to. But that always feels like a massive change when somebody kind of knows that they've got to a point where they don't, they don't need you. It's that's kind of, that's wonderful change. And you said you've got children, right? Yeah. Mm, So how's their relationship to nature? So my children are eight and 11. My boy's 11 and my daughter's um, eight. I mean, we live in an incredible kind of rural place and, you know it's very beautiful where we are and I would say that my son he's very he goes very quiet when he's around water I'd say he's really connected to water they're both real tree climbers so to a point where where I I think my daughter was like three and she'd be up these like really high up in trees and I'd be there on the ground just like trying to breathe just like it was okay and other parents would be like what are you doing kind of letting your child be so high up and I I really felt like it was important for her to feel the risk and her own boundaries around and I guess I they spent a lot of time kind of in trees and I used to run a, an outdoor kind of forest school for naught to fives so when they were little they came to that and so we've always you know cooked on fires and being in the woods and I think now with my son who's in the world that we live in it's hard because he wants to kind of play video games and that's kind of difficult sort of managing the technology that is a part of his world but I hope that there's a kind of enough contact I know he has enough contact that eventually there'll be a choice at some every weekend we're we're out he just clicks back into that that sense but I guess when they were little I always had that that feeling of they'd be like running around the house being really busy and then we'd step outside and it'd be this sense of right now they can just run but a difficulty with integrating not living the way maybe I'd want to or want it to be for them yeah because it's hard if their friends will play computer games or don't have the same kind of lifestyle 
Yeah. We're very, I mean, we're very lucky here. We live on this like little row of mining cottages, like in the middle of nowhere. There's no, you know, there's no shops and there's nothing here Mm. apart from these amazing two hills. And the children that live up here are quite, they're pretty wild. (laughs) (laughs) And there is a kind of sense of community where the children, not at the moment because it's locked down, but the children run in each other's houses and they all have a kind of connection to nature. So the boys will just run off up the hill together and with their walkie-talkies. And um, and it is surprising because as a child, I remember doing that and being very free and how different that is for children now. And often if, you know, the boys run off and I might be walking kind of, with my friend you know somebody might stop us and say oh we've seen some boys like running on their own <laughs> you know, they're 10 and 11 they're not you know tiny and we'll be like yeah yeah we know they know where they are you know they know where home is it's really unusual I think I think people find it really unusual to see kids on their own which is sad yeah yeah and it seems parents are much more afraid these days you know even though statistically it's actually much safer than it ever was right but the media makes us think that you can't turn away from your child for five seconds yeah and because that's the norm it's very difficult to go against that even when you know all of that it's very you know and no other children are out and about my children don't want to be out there and we kind of I mean the kids skateboard and cycle up and down the lane quite a lot and you know, cars go so fast now, it's difficult and we're kind of, it's not unsafe apart from people driving too fast. Or And that's um, the difficult thing, right, is when you know, like you have that inner knowing of what is important and what is valuable and the connection we can have with nature, but then you're going against the grain of the society that seems to want us to be more and more and more immersed in technology and afraid of our, our, well, our true nature and afraid of going outside. So how do you balance those? Yeah, I find that really hard. I had had a situation yesterday where, and I think I respond to it in a, well, I'm going to homeschool. No, I'm not going to homeschool. Mm. I'm going to, and I and I was talking to my son about it yesterday. He got told off by a teacher, and he was really cross. And he was like, "I hate school." And um, you know, I get it. It's like there's two thousand kids, and you know, it's a machine. You know, yeah. he he doesn't. You know, there's a couple of teachers that he maybe identifies with, but they've got to get through their job you know they see hundreds of kids like they can't know him and and we were kind of talking about it like what's the alternative you know what what do you like yeah you could come out of school but then you'd be on your own you wouldn't see any friends because it's locked down anyway you know or and from him going through lockdown before us all going through it he was so unhappy not seeing his friends every day yeah. And so he was like, yeah, I don't really want to do that, but I don't want to go to that school. But would another school be any different? Probably not. So those are, that is, those are the choices, aren't there? That's what, you know, I felt like it was a real sign of him being able to see maybe more the restrictions or 
and actually that I think I think all of those things are related to each other I think why everything is so difficult and restricted in society is actually a kind of inner playing out of our trauma and restrictions in ourselves and that's happening on a kind of mass level you know our our dysfunctions are almost kind of getting worse because of how we're having to live but they come from our collective dysfunction I guess absolutely and I mean I've heard some people describe it as you know we've ignored or pushed away our shadow side right if you take the kind of union approach to it and that the wild of the forest of nature that represents that yeah uncertain chaotic unpredictable part of ourselves and yeah from suppressing that for such a long time we're seeing a lot of very weird symptoms popping up in humanity now like um yeah, like the political system. <laughs> I guess I've thought of it like a separation from nature, that because we're separated from nature, we're able to kind of commit these atrocities on nature, you know, and to see nature and, um, you know, Gaia as a resource to be plundered because we have no relationship and love for her. And it wouldn't be possible to cut down that beautiful three-year-old oak tree if we had a relationship with that tree it it wouldn't be possible it wouldn't be possible to kind of destroy an ecosystem that we knew that's um yeah sorry (laughs) that's what I wanted to ask as well was you know in terms of relationship to the environment and environmentally let's say friendly behaviors do you see that kind of shift in your clients as well sort of do they rethink what they're doing to the planet yeah absolutely I guess I have a bias Mm -hmm. in the sense of I I definitely kind of bring myself more into my own opinions into counseling more than I ever did before and yeah I will talk about my own relationship and my own struggles with climate change and uh, the emergency that we're in and it feels incongruent to to not say it yeah I I teach kind of eco-psychology to counseling students and my teaching's pretty extreme as in I'll give them a synopsis on climate science and Mm. you know I'll spend a good hour on how bad it is and then go into a process of what does that mean you know we're talking about societal collapse what does that mean to you what does that mean to your family and and even though I'm fairly careful because obviously clients that come with you know mental health problems or or, or are severely distressed you know the the goal is not to kind of put them into more distress it's it's to help them but I do notice that when it's a real double-edged sword when they when they start to really connect more and feel more they start to notice more and I also run uh, groups they're called active hope groups and they're based on the work by Joanna Macy of the work that reconnects so that we use the frame of through experiencing our gratitude and then our grief what's happening in the world that maybe we can see a a different perspective or some of those groups 
that I run, but I, have, I haven't, I've only done a few recently because of COVID, out of that have been the most incredible kind of development and action. One of, um, one of the women that come to one of my women's groups, she's kind of done amazing uh, kind of creative art activism and she's a kind of leader of the Red Brigade and Extinction Rebellion. I don't know if you've seen them. Often in those groups, the process is about how we experience our collective pain and that kind of feels like where my work is going at the moment that actually there's so much to be gained from just listening to someone else's pain rather than having to go into our own. Um, and actually the same, neurologically, the same process happens in our brains when we feel someone else's pain as we do when we feel our own. We're beings that are meant to feel together and reflect each other's feeling together. And yeah, it often astounds me kind of what happens when people share kind of their deep emotions together that they almost something else emerges from that yeah I'm really happy to hear that you talk about the work that reconnects as well because yeah I've also been training as a facilitator this year for the work that reconnects so yeah I think it's a really wonderful and powerful I don't want to say tool, <laughs> methodology or whatever. We can. I, I think I just found you on LinkedIn as well with a little bit of stalking. And I saw that you said you help people process climate grief, right? Yeah. And, and so I, so I wanted to lead the conversation there and ask you, yeah, how you help people with their grief. But I think, well, you started to answer that now, right? Because certainly the power of grieving in a group and mm-hmm. with other humans there's something that happens when someone brings I haven't been able to sleep because of the forest fires you know and then that's like it kind of gives this permission to oh my god that's what I was crying about and I I didn't even know Mm. that maybe I'd been I just heard that on the news and and then I've just got these you know or or I found out about this particular glacier that's that's melted or whatever it is or so the group that I had on Sunday one of the people was just so in pieces about Bangladesh and it's like not only does that kind of that that might relate to someone else's particular worry about that particular um, part of the country or those people but it actually then opens you up to start to kind of go I hadn't thought about Bangladesh actually and I hadn't well maybe I didn't think I hadn't thought about it for six months or I need I need to kind of honor that in my heart right now and it kind of refocuses on what's important I think and 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 what she asked was well what do I say to my friend who lives in Bangladesh and she has two children that are the same age as my children and she's got nowhere to go what do I say to her and then the kind of this like amazing wisdom of the group of well say that we're thinking of her and listen to her and you know and and like those are I guess really small ways in in looking at the vast problem but I think there's such strength in meeting that I think part of the problems are that we numb to that pain because it's feels too great but suddenly when you're in a group of people who start to 
experience it, there's a feeling of empowerment. But I can do this. I can listen and I can hear it and I can feel it and I can allow it to be not ignored. The wisdom that comes out from people when they do these exercises, right, in the work that reconnects, just stepping out of their normal day-to-day and speaking from the place of a non-human being or an ancestor, it's amazing. Even, uh, have, you, have you tried to facilitate anything online since all of this lockdown? Yeah, I mean, we did try. I have, I have done a few groups online. I think partly the timing of them wasn't so great. Yeah. Um, and they're a very different experience, I suppose, to yeah. face to face. And I've, I've found counselling online very difficult. And I think yeah. there's so much missed in terms of the quality of just sitting. And you can sit online and it can be really in- incredible, but it's not the same. No, it's not. It's not. And being able to go into nature, obviously, with clients is yeah and and so I've held this question and I suppose you know I find answers in myself when I do the work that reconnects but I still float around with this question of you know what does it mean if we get so much from having a relationship with nature and we're destroying the planet you know it's just such a bleak vision really and um yeah, so so maybe what I want to ask is um, a question that came up. And actually, if if you want to join this conversation, it'd be wonderful to have you there. But I got in touch with a few nature-based coaches recently, and there was just that question, which again you sort of addressed a bit of you know what's our duty as a therapist or as a coach? What's our duty in terms of bringing our clients to that awareness of of what's happening to the environment Um, and also maybe how do we you know what do we do outside of our job to protect or nurture the earth so so yeah that's my question (laughs) outside of the therapy setting uh, is there anything else that you're involved with yeah I'm I have been I I read deep adaptation in uh the summer of 2018 which was a I don't know if you've read it yeah (laughs) (laughs) you say it that way like oh god yeah and like amazingly there was a kind of group of us locally that that read it kind of at the same time and we kind of set up a, a kind of support network for each other and that was a kind of massive, dark, grieving period for me. And then since that kind of Extinction Rebellion popped up and I kind of got really involved in Extinction Rebellion and involved in setting up a local group. And then I've done lots of training for them and and been like full on at the rebellions in London, sitting on the road. I got lifted up by two police officers and drags but didn't get arrested wow. got tried tried hard to get arrested <laughs> but, um, but there was no room two <laughs> times that happened there was no room that whole movement has been incredibly empowering for a lot of people and there was huge integrity that I was kind of involved in um 
a part of the movement that was called Song Carriers and we checked the energy and, and sang and really, really felt like there was a real feeling element to it. And since lockdown, that's kind of, I haven't been very much involved with Extinction Rebellion. I think things have changed. Yeah. Um, quite sure what's next but it feels like maybe that has ended definitely for me but I was doing a lot of talks and a lot of you know practical things we set up a, an incredible edible community garden in in my local town and a lot of that's changed at the moment kind of where I am now I'm very much focused on kind of inner work but I sort of see that as a yeah like a kind of temporary time almost that I kind of need to kind of gather and work out my next sort of forward. But I think, you know, my work is around the air groups and, and I, you know, that question of how much responsibility do we have? I think that's a, a huge one. It's almost like, you know, my ethical sort of framework. It's about, well, you know, one of the ethics is do no harm and telling people about climate change does do them harm. But, not telling them does them harm well exactly i mean in, in the long term <laughs> what's going to be more harmful right how could you know something and then and keep that a secret and and that has definitely felt very present for me in in sessions where people have been talking about their personal history and i've been there thinking but that's actually that's that societal trauma you're talking about you know yes you have personal history of, of trauma, definitely trauma happened to you, but there's also this untalked about trauma in our society that impacts on us every day that we don't recognise. And and I guess that was my conversation with my son yesterday of, you know, outing that the that it's there is this trauma of how we live. School is part of that. It's it's dysfunctional system that you can't possibly fit in so don't worry about fitting in just just get by and you know break the rules but don't get caught <laughs> <laughs> yeah get through it right but get don't lose it. yourself be sneaky be clever uh, yeah that's well that's true. what we all have to do isn't it sort of <laughs> play the game just enough but yeah not really yeah let it take away what makes us and oh, there's there's so many great threads I'd love to sort of go down more but yeah it feels to me like maybe it's my echo chamber but I feel like since lockdown we've been in this kind of womb or this you know the space to really do inner work and reflect and that also means that the really ugly parts of our society are becoming more visible like the trauma and the cracks, and you can, well, watch the US elections unraveling this week, right? It, it's like, yeah, the shadow side is like, I'm here, and you're going to have to find a way to acknowledge this and work through it. And I feel like that is what we have to do if we're going to adapt to whatever comes next. Yeah, I really agree and resonate with that. It, and it does feel like, I don't know if this is how you feel, but it does feel like there's more people expressing this as well. And, you know, the amount of kind of amazing podcasts that I've been listening to recently, I was like, 
none of these existed or people talking about things and they're saying i've been doing this for 40 years i was like where i've never found you before um i have this list of books i have this like pile of books (laughs) i'm i don't know where to um, oh my gosh i've been on a book ordering rampage so much right it's like suddenly everyone has a book about climate grief and i'm like oh gosh i have to read them all (laughs) yeah I think something that um I mean I don't know this is this has felt kind of quite difficult in in my kind of local circle of people who are very active in climate change but since when lockdown happened I had this huge sigh of relief like it felt for me like suddenly like Gaia would take care of it there she was going like stop all this craziness just everybody stop have a breath like and I can remember feeling like that, this huge trust, I suppose, that I'd been in panic for like two years of, about what was going to happen and absolute fear and grief. And suddenly I felt like oh, I'll be all right, but not necessarily in a kind of, you know, it will be all right. But I I've, I guess I feel a bit of guilt yeah. around that. Do you? <laughs> That's good to hear. yeah yeah because we're sort of you know in a way we're sort of welcoming the collapse right because we know that it might be a necessary thing to bring something better but obviously that won't be without suffering and and I do reflect on what's my you know what's my privilege in that too like am I just thinking bring it on because I know that I'm less likely to suffer the harshest consequences of it and then when I'm faced with, oh, my personal being might be, you know, in danger, then am I suddenly going to find myself not so okay with it? That sounds, yeah, really honest. And I think maybe more I'm coming to less feeling like, you know, for, for a good two years, I was like, I've got to do this and I've got to do this talk and I've got to do that and I've got to do this. And like a real, I mean, I did do a lot in the last two years, but that sort of uh, sense of doing outwardly feels less important, like certainly at this time. And maybe I've more integrated that sense of, um, you know, guy will take care of this into, well, through humans, right? So she'll, the creative force, divine, whatever we call it, God, will take care of of it through us and through us kind of being I guess present and witnessing and in whatever form and that doesn't necessarily mean I that it's all going to be fine because because I really don't I think the opposite but that that this sense of kind of trust and just going okay that that's a, a, akin to kind of grief and palliative care isn't it and how, how when we're dying how do we who do we want to be with and like not resisting that maybe those kind of more buddhist principles of as kind of surrendering to what comes next yes yeah and and that's i think that's a very hard thing at the moment right because i can feel there's so much resistance and and i think you know there should be some level of resistance too right because if if we're suffering because our government was too greedy, <laughs> then we should resist. But if we're resisting 
the earth's natural cleansing process i think i'm i'm not so sure it's like a natural cleansing process or a more that through through death something else can emerge or through like any kind of transition it, it is through pain isn't it and like any massive kind of spiritual growth that, or transformation that i've seen or my own process has been through grief and pain and suffering and that that is kind of you know it feels like a great big world initiation you know indigenous people know about initiation is it's kind of it's a necessary process and there's a trust in that that this is what's happening rather than a, um oh my god what is this it's well, you know that this is what you have to do. You have to go out into the dark night. You have to go out into the earth and bury yourself because that's how you learn and grow up and grow into something else. And if you don't do that, there can't be that change. Exactly. And I guess I've seen that in my counselling practice, that there can't be that change without somebody really going there. Going through the initiation. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise we're... A nation of children which yeah I can see <laughs> we are yeah oh so thank you for talking to me today this has been you know really great because we've gone from nature connection into climate grief and deep deep adaptation and trauma and you know these themes just consistently pop up this year for me <laughs> and probably for more and more and more people right because I am like you said, I feel like there's just so many more books and podcasts and resources out there now. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to add after this whole discussion? No, just that I feel like this this is where it's at at the moment. Like completely like having this, these discussions and listening to these discussions and and I feel like that's kind of all I'm doing at the like literally just letting it just kind of infuse in my brain this kind of information and just these sort of openings around you know well what what does it what does this mean and yeah I just think it's really important what you're doing so I really appreciate having this conversation it's been great let me know what you think about connecting to nature about ecotherapy and all the ideas we discussed today. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, under The Way We Connect, or you can go to thewaywheconnect.org. I'm Gwyneth Jones, and thank you for joining today.